Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Re-Education. Today's show is just going to be a monologue, and it's about Golda Meir, the fourth prime minister of Israel, and specifically her relationship with her husband, Morris. Now, I'm interested in Golda and Morris because I think it shows that great people, not just great women, great people, have to sacrifice their marriages often and even their families to achieve greatness. Now, Sheryl Sandberg the recently departed COO of Facebook, may tell women to lean in and that they can have it all, the family and the great job. But the reality is different. You really can't have it all. And sometimes you have to choose. And now a word from our sponsor. From the grocery store to the gas station, working families are getting hammered by rising prices. But instead of focusing on inflation, Congress is pushing anti-innovation legislation that will impose more financial burdens on working people and seniors. Their misguided agenda could cost public pension plans $109 billion. Teachers, firefighters, and nurses would pay the heaviest price. Congress needs to focus on inflation and leave American workers alone. for ladies to be in positions of importance and responsibility there was a woman who just went out and did her thing and by doing it she ended up being one of the most admired respected and beloved women of this century in Israel we have sent our cameras to the home of this marvelous woman ladies and gentlemen the former Prime Minister of the State of Israel Golda Meir is this you, Golda? Yes. Oh, it's so nice to talk to you. It's wonderful to hear your voice. I wish I could see your face. Oh, yeah. Modern technology has not, has not gotten us that far yet, huh? No. On, my, on the 90th birthday, I'll do that. <laughs> we just heard a wonderful bit of history. On the 30th anniversary of the founding of the modern state of Israel, Barbara Streisand hosted a network television tribute to the Jewish state. For this special, Streisand spoke briefly with Israel's fourth prime minister, Golda Meir, who I want to spend a little time on today for this monologue-only show. This was one of the last times the world would actually see Golda. At the end of the year, 1978, she would die of lymphatic cancer that she had been diagnosed with 15 years earlier. Now, Golda Meir is a fascinating figure for many reasons. Here's someone who embodied so much of the modern Jewish experience in a single lifetime. She was born in Kiev in modern-day Ukraine before the Bolshevik Revolution in what was then known as the Pale of Settlement. Her family emigrated eventually to Milwaukee, Wisconsin when she was a young girl, and as a young woman, she became electrified by Zionism. And she threw her whole life, her whole body, her whole energies into the cause of creating and eventually leading a Jewish state. Now, there's a lot of things we could do in terms of a show for Golda Meir, but today I really want to focus on Golda Meir as a proto-feminist in the era before Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem that we discussed a few episodes back in the feminist critique episode. So anyway, there's a cliche that behind every great man is a great woman. And usually this is a way to give credit to the mothers and wives of generals and presidents, although sometimes it's referring to someone like Eleanor Roosevelt, who played an 
instrumental part of the FDR administration. But usually it's just a sort of way of saying, listen, it takes a village, it takes a family to have these great people in history and you shouldn't leave them out. And that's all well and good. But for the case of Golda, her marriage was probably a mistake. At the age of 15 in Milwaukee, she fell in love with Morris Meyerson, a very sweet guy. He loved classical music. He loved literature. And he wanted only to please Golda Meir. And, you know, we have the image of her as a sort of grandmotherly figure as the prime minister of Israel. But she was pretty hot back in the day. Anyway, he ended up being a sign painter in Israel. And Golda also loved him. This is 1917. It's a different era. But you could also say that she loved Zionism. She loved the prospect of a Jewish state even more. Here's a clip from a 1982 made-for-television movie starring Ingrid Bergman in the role of Golda Meir. And in this scene, we have Leonard Nimoy, you may know him as Dr. Spock, playing Morris Meyerson. This scene depicts the discussion between Golda and Morris. And this is in 1917, before women in America even had the right to vote on Golda's conditions for marriage. Morris, if I am not for myself... Who will be for oh, me? Golda, this is America. There are no pogroms in America. And I say, God bless America. God bless this beautiful country forever. But millions of Jews are not here and never will be. Morris, if I am for myself only, what am I? Don't you think I'm concerned too? It's just that I don't see any chance for a Jewish state in Palestine at this time. When was there a better time? When did we have a Balfour declaration from the British government? Quote, His Majesty's government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. That's very nice. But they don't set a date. Morris, if not now, when? Your friend Hillel didn't know that your other friends, the British, would be fighting a world war. And the Turks would be the ones running Palestine. But the British will win and they'll drive the Turks out. In the meantime, you can't even get there. But as soon as I can. So you're saying, if I won't go, you won't marry me. I can't very well, can I? But if I'll go, you will. I'd love to marry you, Morris. I'm sorry, Golda. I'm not going. Now, in the end of that scene, Morris is saying, I really don't want to go over there. But in the end, he followed her to Palestine, as it was known at the time. And in 1921, they eventually joined the Merhavia Kibbutz, which rejected their application at first, but after learning that Morris brought a new phonograph, one that didn't have a horn attached to it, they allowed the young Meyersons to stay. Now, I don't know if any of my listeners have ever lived on a kibbutz. I visited a few when I was in high school, and I spent a semester in Israel. And this was in 1988. A much different experience, by the way, than the Palestine of the early 20s. But even then, there was just a lot of focus on physical labor. And for a week, I remember spending my mornings clearing rocks from a field that I was assured would one day be turned into a lush vegetable garden. Morris had a much tougher assignment than I did. Morris Meyerson had to till the fields with horse-drawn equipment in the baking sun of the Jezreel Valley. And I have to tell you, by all accounts, he hated it. We know this from some of his letters back home. Golda, on the other hand, absolutely loved this experience, at least she has said in like her, her later autobiography. And she also busied herself in the politics of the kibbutz. 
you know, Morris would write letters home to his mother complaining about the conditions. And meanwhile, Golda Meir was just having the time of her life. And eventually they did leave the Merhavia kibbutz and got an apartment in Tel Aviv because Morris had said that he just couldn't take it anymore. And, you know, he'd already kind of followed Golda to Palestine. So now it was maybe Golda's turn to follow him to Tel Aviv. More than 50 years later, in an interview with Oriana Falacci, Golda said of her husband, who had by that point died, For him, I made the biggest sacrifice of my life. I left the kibbutz. You see, there was nothing I loved so much as the kibbutz. I liked everything about it. The manual work, the comradeship, the discomforts. But, she continued, he could not stand it, neither psychologically or physically. Anyway, I should say that other biographers here have disputed this because Golda Meir really doesn't spend a lot of time and she doesn't have friendships with people that she made in that kibbutz. But this is how Golda would talk about this 50 years later. Now, I would like to report that Golda Meir leaned in to borrow that line from Sheryl Sandberg. She managed to have it all. And while Morris and her did have two children together, it's also fair to say that their marriage and family was sacrificed for Golda's political career. Here is more from that famous interview with Oriana Falacci. My husband Morris was an extraordinarily nice person, educated, kind, good. Everything about him was good. I met him when I was 15. We got married soon afterwards. From him, I learned all the beautiful things like music and poetry, but I was too different from him. He was only interested in his family, his home, his music, his books. For me, domestic bliss wasn't enough. I wasn't born to be satisfied with music and poetry. He wanted me to stay home and forget politics. Instead, I was always out, always in politics. I had to be doing what I was doing. I couldn't help myself. And then, a little bit later, she says, Yes, of course I have a sense of guilt for him. I made him suffer so much. He came to this country for me because I wanted to come. He came to kibbutz for me because I wanted the kibbutz. He took up a way of life that did not suit him because it was the kind of life... I could not do without. End of that section of the interview. So anyway, all of this sort of reminds me of something that Anne-Marie Slaughter, she was the head of policy planning in the Obama administration at the State Department. It's a fairly important job, but she was up for an even bigger job in the Obama administration in foreign policy. Full disclosure, not a fan of Anne-Marie Slaughter's foreign policies, but that's for another show maybe or maybe not. But anyway, in a famous piece for Foreign Policy magazine, Amory Slaughter described how she decided to decline this offer for the more prestigious position in the Obama administration so she could be home with her family when her children were going through high school. This is from a TED Talk from 2013. Over the next year, while my family was writing itself, I started to realize that even if I could go back into government, I didn't want to. I didn't want to miss the last five years that my sons were at home. I finally allowed myself to accept what was really most important to me, not what I was conditioned to want or maybe what I conditioned myself to want. And that decision led to a reassessment of the feminist narrative that I grew up with and have always championed. Now, I don't wish to compare Dr. Slaughter with the great Golda. The point is that it's very rare 
that a great person is also a great parent or a great spouse. Golda Meir would accomplish so much for Israel in her lifetime. One of my favorite stories about her is from 1948. David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister, probably you could argue the George Washington of Israel, dispatched Golda to the United States to raise funds among American Jews. And he was expecting something like $8 million to come back. And Golda was so charismatic and dogged. She returned with $55 million for the Jewish state. And David Ben-Gurion knew talent when he saw it, and he really, really liked her after that. He made her his labor minister. And then in 1956, Golda became foreign minister for the state of Israel, which is a very serious position, obviously. But more importantly, for a woman to hold that post in 1956 really says something. Now, Golda once in a cabinet meeting, I love this story too, Golda once in a cabinet meeting when there was a discussion about setting a curfew for women because they were victims of sexual assault, asked, why not a curfew for men since they were the ones doing the assaulting? Finally, as prime minister, even though Golda Meir would eventually be criticized for not listening to generals who had warned of a sneak attack coming that became the 1973 Yom Kippur War, she did accomplish very important things as prime minister. For example, in my view, here are just two that I think are very important. That in 1969, in a visit to Washington, she met with President Nixon and Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, and she acknowledged for the first time, this is so devote, all the files are still not declassified, that Israel had a nuclear weapon. Now, the CIA knew about Israel's nuclear program since at least the early 1960s in the Kennedy administration, but Golda Meir's decision to come clean with Israel's most important ally was a bold and risky decision. And it paid off because since 1969, America has kept Israel's nuclear secret, more or less, for the most part, and has not pressured Israel to disarm, although you could argue there have been some diplomatic moves that are ambiguous in this respect. Also, I would say that Golda also authorized something known as Operation Wrath of God, and that was in the aftermath of the massacre at the Munich Olympics. She dispatched a Mossad team that patiently found all of the members of the Black September cell that carried off that atrocity and killed them. And in, I think, at least one case, there was somebody who was a case of mistaken identity in Norway. But nonetheless, those are two fairly significant decisions. And in that respect, I think that, you know, Golda Meir is really seen as one of these founders of the state of Israel. And yet at the same time, as I've been saying throughout this episode, Golda was, in the end, a bad wife. She never divorced Morris. But at the end of their marriage, they lived in separate homes, and it was, you know, I don't want to speculate because we don't really know, but Morris died prematurely. He died in 1951. One of her recent biographers, Francine Klagsburn, has uncovered love letters between Golda Meir and Israel's first transportation minister, David Ramez. And Klagsburn concludes that it was actually Ramez, who was also married at the beginning of this affair, who was the true love of Golda Meir's life. Quote, she was a woman ahead of her time in this sense. Her attitude was to live life to the fullest. Golda also says in an essay that she wrote that she felt guilty that she was not always there for her two children when they were growing up. Klagsburn writes that she would leave her children in those early years for months at a time as she dedicated her life to Zionist and socialist politics. Again, I don't bring this up to denigrate one of the great women in Jewish history. It's remarkable that a woman born in a Ukrainian shtetl 
would overcome so much to rise to become a prime minister of Israel. Just amazing. But her ambition took a toll on her family. In the end, Morris loved Golda so much that he chose to toil away in the Jezreel Valley and live in a commune to be part of her life. But in the end, Golda couldn't let Morris be a part of her life. That was a tragedy for the sign painter from Milwaukee. But Morris Meyerson's tragedy ended up being a gift for Israel and the Jewish people. Oftentimes, you cannot have it all. You have to choose. And when you have a destiny, when you were a great person, those choices can hurt some of the people around you. I think in the end, we accept those choices. We make an exception. So I make the exception for gold of my ear, and I'd be curious to hear from my listeners whether you do as well. See you in a couple days. This has been The Re-Education with Eli Lake, a nebulous production. Please find us wherever you find your podcast. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. It helps other people find the show and makes us feel really good about what we're doing.